Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. And welcome to my independence report. It's a sunny Friday here in the great Northwest. It's going to be like 80 degrees and it's very nice. And I've got with me today a wonderful young man who has done more in his life. His bio is is so long I couldn't fit it all in. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. His name is Wayne McFarland. He is an author of a really cool book that uh, we're going to talk about a lot during this hour. And and I hope that you'll stay with us for the entire time. And he is on the phone with us from Colorado. So Wayne, good afternoon. How are you, sir? Kevin Meister, I am fine. And uh, you're mentioning 80 degrees there just to bust my chops, right? Exactly. Colorado is like 40 degrees today. (laughs) Well, you know, like like we said said beforehand, Colorado, it can be 41 day and 80 the next. So maybe 80 is coming for you tomorrow. Uh, Actually, they say it is. You know, like a freight train. Yeah. Oh, cool. Cool. So, so Wayne, I got to ask you, um, you've been, gosh, you've been a corporate project developer. You've been in marketing and in sales, product management. You've got a college degree. You're, 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 you're a creative guy. You've got a book out. When do you have time to do all this stuff? Well, a couple of years ago, we had a software company and, we sold it, and that's when I left LA to come to Colorado. And I gotta tell you, after six months or eight months, I told my wife, "If I catch one more fish, I'm gonna kill myself." <laughs> so, <laughs> so I changed from you know drowning flies and worms to uh, to writing up a kind of a skewed memoir. So that really is is. Uh, the tale of my later life here. Well, and and there are uh, lots of people that have uh, lots of interesting things that have happened in their lives. But in reviewing the chapters of your book, which I'd like to talk about a little bit, there's some really interesting things that that you write about. And so your life has got to have been more interesting than most. Well, you know, I about a couple of people mention something along those lines. I, I tell them, I think what it is, you start an interesting life by, I was raised in a little Midwestern town and if, on a farm. I mean, yes, that cliche, that, that was me. And I just could not wait to get out of there. And I think part of it is putting yourself out there, doing, you know, like what you're doing. And because you sort of open yourself up into <laughs> the, the randomness of things, if you will. And if you're out there kind of ranging around, you bump into stuff purely by accident. And so I figured in my book, I try and make that clear. Uh, other memoirs I've read, as we were discussing er- earlier, which I thought really sucked, tried to pretend that it was all bland, but it's not. I mean, stuff like that is not. You just get out there and things happen to you. Well, you know, the the, uh, the title of the book is Tales from the Day. And I was going to ask you what uh, motivated the title, but looking at your uh, chapter list, I have an idea. of <laughs> These are <laughs> a collection of, uh, of different days that you had and different experiences that you had in your life, most of them when you were a kid, I assume. Uh, yeah, I was I was quite a bit younger for probably the majority of them. And, um, but there's some that were a little later, like the day Johnny Cash ate on my wife. And that was a little later story, now, but, the, but <laughs> most of them were, were younger. Yeah. Can you go into that just a little bit? Are you, are you serious? The Johnny Cash? Yeah. Well, what happened? It's a little bit of a truncated story. I, I got involved for a while with doing uh, kind of special effects for opening stage shows, you know, pyro, 
fireworks and various things and lasers and whatever. And it lasted for a time. And so one day I got a call and they asked us to do a opening, little opening kickoff for the Country Music Awards of all things in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, so we went in there and it consisted of having, you've probably seen them, uh, 40 or 50 projectors. Now you can do it all with a cell phone, right? Yeah. Now is better. And, um, and so the follies began with the production company setting up the TV, it was a TV special, uh, who's a quite a famous family singers. And they decided to, there's still, a couple of them are still around actually. So I'll keep it a little general, but they decided they'd set up a production company. And the only problem was they oversold themselves a little bit. So the Country Music Awards, which is a really huge deal, was their first production, right? So things got rolling uh, when I noticed there was a fist fight on stage uh, about three in the morning because nobody, they had misscheduled everything, so nobody had time enough to set up. So you know how it goes, because you're, you're, you've had exposure to the business in probably a great degree. Where you, The lighting guy can't be setting up you know, at the same time, the TV guys are setting up and the sound guy can't set up when other folks are, are working. And our setup took about two hours and we had 40 minutes. <laughs> so, oh my God. So it began, yeah. So it began, we were kicking off the show, right? God help us. So it started, my manager, my production manager came to me and said, well, we got two choices. We either bag this and fail and, fail or we go ahead and take a run at it and in which case we'll probably fail but it'll be spectacular so (laughs) so i thought okay so we blew off all the uh, fireworks and stuff when they rolled the tv cameras and and fired off the lasers and whatever and and uh yeah it was it was a quite a spectacular disaster with pictures of country singers faces at the opposite ends of screens, you know, split in half and stuff. And, and um, this, will, this will make you laugh. We got a review of the show, right? And the worst part of it, of our opening, was there was a very famous country music singer. And she was, some of her songs were featured with pictures of her. This is, you know, back in the day before MTV and stuff. And the two halves of her faces jumped across the... I'm kidding. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's just my magical computer doing something silly. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, jumped across the screen and came together. And so, uh, you know, when we when we when we finished, uh, I was certain we had just bombed in front of you know ten million people live. And later we got a review that waxed lyrical about the beautiful psychological statement we made about this country singer bringing her life together and all this stuff. And I thought, what? So I I did what you do after a disaster in front of a few million TV people. Then I went to the bar and my, my wife, my wife who was getting her PhD in molecular biology, Kevin. Molecular biology. Yep. And my advice to your audience is try to marry above your station. I did that (laughs) and it worked, it worked out very well. Anyway, she flew in for the show. And so our careers are pretty different. And um, so I came out from drowning my sorrows. And here's this huge crowd. I swear, Kevin, there must have been two, 300 people all standing around respectfully in a big circle. And in the middle was my wife and this tall guy all dressed in black. Right? And so he's earnestly talking to her. And, um, and occasionally, you know, putting his hand on her arm and she'd step back and she'd kind of smiling and shaking her head. And when, when, when they were done talking, I went over to her and I said, what did he say to you? And she just <laughs> smiled and said, I just a lot of nonsense. And Kevin, I had pried at her for years and she never will tell me specifically. And so I, I looked at her for a minute and I said, do you know who that was? And she said, no, who was it? And, and now we're talking a, a chemist here. She was dead serious. I said, that was Johnny Cash. 
She looked me right in the eye and said, who's Johnny Cash? (laughs) She spent way too much time in the lab. Looking at at test tubes. That's exactly correct. (laughs) So so I figured, well, that's good news and bad news. At least I don't don't, don't have to worry about my wife being starstruck, right? So uh, we... So, so that, so that was it. So a lot of nonsense is all I ever got out of her, you know? So there you go. Well, that, there, <laughs> there you go. And that, that, by the way, we're talking with Wayne McFarlane and he's written a book, Tales from the Day. Now, uh, I think technology has eluded us a little bit this morning, but I think that we're, that Lisa has joined us. Have you joined us, Lisa? Uh-oh. Well, silence of the lambs. <laughs> apparently, we're going to have some farba beans. But apparently, we <laughs> we are still uh, uh, working to make that connection. So I will. She's probably. Uh, let's see. She's probably all set. Um, and I. So well. Well, we'll figure it out. Um, but in any event, again, we're talking with Wayne McFarland. He's an author. He's been now. It, Wayne, how did you get into? Um, production big time productions like that what what is your background where did how did they call you how did you know and then and then you would have did a, a software company and all that stuff well when i first got to california barefoot boy with cheek right uh it's it's the old joke how broke was i i was so broke and we started doing little corporate like slideshows put a little music track behind him and i'd go out and and hawk them to companies saying, you know, your widget, you need a slideshow for that. And it'd be like a 10 minute commercial, you know? So, um, one day we did a production and the guy, a friend of mine who was working at a big amusement park, uh, saw it and came to me and said, star Wars just to come out. Right. And he came to me and said, could you put together, we'd use a laser in our commercial show. And he said, could you put together a rock and roll show, you know, using a laser and your projectors? Well, Kevin, what do you think I said? I had no qualifications at all and no background and no experience. So, of course, I said, yeah, sure, we can do that. No problem. <laughs> so <laughs> so, uh, so off we go and, and nobody knew what they were doing. Right? And it was everything was so new. We cobbled together a thing that would make the laser kind of look like Star Wars guns firing, you know? Sure. And and this was at the amusement park. And the first night, you know, we're 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 rolling along, and we everything was behind. We didn't have time to run the show. All the electronics had not been tested, and so um, so the stage manager is calling down, screaming at us. You know, 10,000 people in the audience all stoned and yelling, and and he counts down the, you know, the, the, the three, two, one, go, and we went. And the people in the audience started screaming so loud that the, the operator of the show, the electronics, turned around and looked up at me with his mouth open, and I said, for God's sake, keep going, you know? Keep <laughs> <laughs> And uh, out of this, as it turns out, there was a a guy who came to see him uh, one night, a big entertainment figure. And then F. Show came to us and said, think you could do an opening for the Country Music Awards? Well, what do you think I said? It's live TV. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I've, I've never done that. Why not? That would be great. So that led to Johnny Cash and all the rest of the foolish stuff. You know? <laughs> hey, uh, by the way, Lisa, have you joined us? Hello. Nah, she hasn't. She hasn't joined us yet. So we'll figure it out. But in any, but in any event, so so you're one of those guys that that rather than say no, I I I I've never done that. I have no idea how to do that. I could never do that. Why? You're one of those guys that said. I've never done that. Okay, sure, I'll give it a shot. How do you? Yeah. Where did that come from? Well, I don't. I don't know. I guess because I was so bored milking cows <laughs> that I figured taking taking a shot and anything else would be better. But we had a uh, out of that another thing happened that was even a you know we got a 
terrific review out of this. So at the same time, we got a call on the Country Music Award. This guy calls us and says, they're redoing the Hollywood sign. You know, it was a wreck by this time. And Hugh Hefner, rest his soul, had a big party and raised a quarter million dollars. And so they redid the Hollywood sign. And, and then they had a live special to uh, uh, to open up. You know, big CBS was involved, whatever. And so they said, can you use some lasers? And when we, you know, we, we ballyhoo the sign, shoot your lasers off, I said, well, you know what I said. I said, sure. <laughs> so, so, so we we get up on the top of the mountain under the Hollywood sign. And uh, now lasers require, at that time, they had to be at a certain temperature. We had no water. We had no power. And we got all that up there. But they really are not friendly to heat and cold. So the night of the, the show, uh, it was sleeting. Now, Kevin, I think it has only sleeted once in the entire uh, pathological history of California, and that was that night. So we had, and the lasers, the tubes in them cost five grand. Oh, my God. And so it came our, yeah, came our time to fire those babies up, and the sleet hit the first one, and it blew up with a big bang. And so we took the, we got umbrellas over the second one, and that lasted well, I don't know, five or ten seconds before that blew up. So the next day, the next day, of course, it was another one of those things where I figured, well, I'm doomed. You know, we screwed <laughs> up in front of a, another live TV audience, right? So I said, well, all is not lost because the production company that hired us, we get paid today. So I called him up, and phone rang and rang and rang and rang. Finally, a guy picks it up and says, yeah. And I said, hey, you know, I told him what I was. I said, I want to come down and get our check. And he started laughing. He said, well, good luck with that. They just declared bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the morning was not going well. And I was sitting at my desk, and I, I swear to God, Kevin, I don't remember if I was weeping or not, probably. And Gloria, my wife, came in. She had a copy of the L.A. Times. And she said, you got to see this. And we had this terrific review. I mean, our lasers didn't work, right? They blew up. But the company that hired us that went bankrupt had searchlights. So when it started to sleep, all the reporters and the performers went in the uh, trailer where there was an open bar. And everybody got hammered. <laughs> and the, the reporters just assumed the searchlights were us. And we got this tremendous review razor cutting technology blah blah and got a bunch of business out of it and it was just a complete fiasco well <laughs> well but it worked and and in, in it the, worked yeah in, you know in those days um going back because uh, i'm sadly from those days it was it was hard when you wanted to put uh, paratechnics up and and lasers and all of that. I mean, that was I remember the first time I ever saw that was in 1976 in the Kingdom with Paul McCartney, um, and he did oh, wow. he he did a laser thing when he did uh, Live and Let Die, and that was the first yeah. time I'd ever seen anything like that. And it's like the Star Wars people don't recognize, and I, I I'm going to digress just a little bit, but. People don't recognize the first time I that you go and see a movie like Star Wars, which is so far ahead of its time, and and is the the special effects are so superior to what else was out there. It's like holy mackerel, that's amazing. Yep. Oh yeah. And uh, you know the the yeah, you're absolutely correct. And and so anything, uh, people were pretty flummoxed. You're right. You're absolutely right about that. So, so you met, uh, yeah. you, you didn't meet Johnny Cash, but you, 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 no. who, who, who can you name drop? Who, who did you meet in the, in the, that industry? Well, I'd have to say pretty much at the time when Johnny Cash was at his peak and most of the, the, the major country entertainers and there were other folks wandering around too. Um, one of them comes to mind, it's probably Neil Diamond. Some of the others people wouldn't remember anymore. But, you know, the interesting thing I found, Kevin, is that, you know, when, when I was working in the midst of all this and it was 
in Hollywood and all this stuff. Uh, two things I noticed right away is, well, three actually. One is that, you know, you read about this and they uh, portray it in movies. There really are people that will do anything to be involved or even peripherally with the industry. That was a, a big surprise to me because <laughs> it sounds like I'll do anything, but I really won't. And uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the second thing was that of all the entertainers, the country folks had the biggest grip, I felt, on the fact that their fans were their life. And they were really decent, much more so than people on the other side of the spectrum, the rock and roll folks and whatever, to their uh, to their fans. And the third thing I saw in working there is that when you're in a position where everybody you meet is fawning over you and throwing money at you, unbelievably amount of money in that business, it takes a real strong core, like the stuff you were talking about in your intro, mm-hmm. uh, of character to, to sustain your own humanity, if you will, through all of that. And I will tell you that most people did not, could not. And uh, start to be thinking that there's really some truth to it and they really could walk on water if they just wanted to. And and it, it was quite amazing. But there were some folks, another person you, you probably know, I don't know about your audience, but Ben Breen and uh, oh, yes. a few others that really, really were just decent folks. And uh, so there, there, there were people. It's like they talk about Tom Hanks now, been married to the same lady for 30 years or something. And there's there's people around who are really have a core, I think, of themselves. Not moral so much as just ethics and decency. And uh, and I really saw how the uh, you know the effects of that can be on people who who don't have that or don't have family around them or something. Well, can you imagine? I, I because I can't. Uh, I can't imagine being a guy like Tom Hanks, where you have no privacy. No matter where you go, yeah. people recognize who you are. And then on top of that, if your lovely wife, which he's been married to for a very long time, beautiful lady, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, if if she's not on his arm, he's got to get hit on like every oh. day of his life. Oh, it's it's just unbelievable. Some of the stuff, you know, people standing around outside and, oh, it's really something. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and, and it, it, it's so hard that, that you know, because there are guys, in, well, like, like Jim Morrison and, and people like that, 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 <laughs> that left us really early, too early, because they could not stop. They could not they just they just couldn't stop and uh but yeah. they but you're right there are there are some folks that that are just they understand how lucky they are to be where they are yep and and it all comes back to the fact that you know just because you could sleep around with four different people every night doesn't make it doesn't make it right and uh, and it sounds like I'm a moralist. I'm really, I'm really not. I just know that that uh, you know you, you you lose a lot, and people with a, uh, a what I call a core. Hanks, let's use him as an example. Uh, clearly, he values his marriage and his relationship, and what he's going to throw that all away for one night stands with all the ladies that would be delighted to do it. Well, they have snow. I mean, he never did it. Never been a whisper of scandal about that guy. Yeah, I got a lot of admiration for him. I never met him, but I got a lot of because you you always hear Kevin when you're in that environment. I mean, you hear stuff, and ninety nine percent of the time it's true. You know, the rumors fly. And, it, it it would be it would be so hard to be. Well, I can't decide if it would be hard or if it would be easier. I, I, you know, because I honestly, well, to, to, I've had one in my entire life, 
I've had one lady walk up and offer to, well, and she took my card. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a funny story. She, she, t- I was in, I was in food service sales at the time, and so we were doing a cold call at this restaurant, and so I dropped my card off at the restaurant. A day later, I get this. Uh, the, the, they had beepers back then, and I get this beep for this number, and so I call her back, and this woman gets on the other line, and she said, and she said, "I love your mustache. I would really be honored to, you know, um, service you." Yeah. yeah. Yep, I could fill in the blanks on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and you said I said, you know, uh, thank you for I well, I, I I would like to sit here and tell you that that I because of my high moral character and the fact that I yeah. was married at the time and I love my wife and all that, I would love to sit here and tell you that that's the reason I turned her down. But the real reason I turned <laughs> her down was because I wasn't sure that my wife didn't set it up. <laughs> oh my god well, that's, that's reason enough to be cautious that's for sure <laughs> plus oh, plus the fact god. that i did not remember the individual at all and i could just walk uh, i could just imagine myself walking into the restaurant and meeting her and she's like i don't know um somebody that i would find less than attractive i you know so i don't know but that's the only time in my entire life but these guys get it on a daily basis yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they do. So, so, it's, well, so, by the way, we're talking with Wayne McFarland, and I really am enjoying our conversation. It's it's a lot of fun, and I hope that you'll you'll uh, uh, go to the podcast and listen to it later if you're if uh, or or by all means listen to it now. But I wanted to ask you because in your in your book, which is called Tales from the Day, there you've got uh, uh, lots of, you've got uh, 27 chapters, and the, the one that kind of sparked my interest was uh, uh, the day, and each chapter starts with a day, and this one was the day we humped a cement mixer. Now, that <laughs> gives me a whole different <laughs> mental picture. Uh, could you kind of explain that one a little bit? Well, uh, for reasons that now completely escape me, at one point I thought it would be a really great idea to go to Idaho and fight forest fires. I, look, you know, it was momentary insanity sparked by God knows what. So off I went, and the gods punished me by uh, giving me a job right away with the Forest Service. And in, in those days, back in the day, uh, the forest gangs, as I call them loosely, we all, it would be out in the bushes in a, a line camp or whatever, and it was a, a guy's only deal. Because, at, I mean, you know, women can't do that. Just look at the downhill skiing female champions and the female champion soccer soccer team. Clearly, the little deers can't handle the physical stuff, right? At least that's gone. <laughs> yeah, and, and back in the day, that was the way it was. Yeah, and so I ended up in this line camp, and it was full of a lot of characters, including one who came in one night with a gun and said he was going to kill us all. But uh, one of the char- two of the characters, one of them was a friend of mine who'd gone with me out there who was really a lazy bum. And one of the other characters was a coal miner for Virginia, a younger guy, but he said he was on the run from both a pregnant girlfriend and from the law. And he never would tell us why the law was interested in where he might be. But anyway, he was a real um, hardworking guy and had great uh, disdain and lack of respect for anybody who didn't pull their weight. And um, so anyway, one day we got assigned to go up in the, in the mountains, basically, and put in a little dam so the camp could have fresh mountain water. And they helicoptered in this, this big old cement mixer. I mean, a big cast iron one-lunger, you know, where it would chuff and had one cylinder, you know. So we hiked up there, and, and there was a whole gang of us, the, the miner and my lazy friend and myself and a couple others. And we had to push the cement mixer up 
oh god i don't know it seemed like miles but it's probably a few hundred yards up the side of the hill to get it to where we needed to use it and uh i just remember pushing that thing kevin and it it was so i remember being so heavy and uh, at midpoint on the push i looked up and there was Dick, his name was the coal miner, looking back at my lazy friend who was just kind of had one hand on the cement mixer. And I, you know, they, they say that you can't feel emotion from people, but I got to tell you, the rage coming from this guy was so enormous. I thought to myself, Dick's going to kill him. I mean, he's going to kill him, kill him. So we got up to the top where the thing had to, where we had to use the cement mixer. And Vic went over to my lazy friend, and he had to start the cement mixer with a crank. I mean, <laughs> these days, I don't know if millennials even know what a crank is. They don't. But, no. And he jammed it in my friend's stomach and and very obscenely uh, told him that he had better start the, cement mixer crank it up and it was really an unpleasant job because you may know but no one else these days i think knows that when you crank those things they were just as likely to to kick back on you and if you're cranking to the right it could kick back and and kick the crank to the left could break your fingers or you know break your wrist so my my friend looked at vic who uh, I mean, he realized, my friend realized there was no schoolyard thing going on. This was a, a serious issue. So he walked over to Smith and Kickstarter and he starts cranking it, right? Cranks it and cranks it, wouldn't start. And suddenly, yeah, it kicked in the wrong direction and took all the skin off my friend's knuckles. Oh, dear. Whereupon my, my friend cursed <laughs> and threw the crank down the side of the mountain. <laughs> now, <laughs> we. And the cement mixer was not running, I might add. So we all watched the crank sail up into the air in this parabolic, this arc. And uh, and when it hit the ground, Dick went over to my friend. And Dick was a, a smaller guy, but he worked in the coal mines. He was all whipcord and, you know, muscle. And my friend had to weigh, you know, he had a big beer belly, 230 pounds or something. And Dick, I swear to God, Kevin, he picked him up and he threw him right down the side of the mountain and started throwing rocks at him <laughs> and screaming and started screaming at him. He didn't find that crank and bring it back <laughs> that that we wouldn't find the crank and they'd never find his body. I don't know if he was serious, but it was and, and he's chucking these big rocks at him. Right. So it took my friend two hours, but he found the crank. And I came back up, and we got the cement mixer started. And at the end of the day, um, we're we're walking back down. We were just all really tired. I mean, you can imagine, right? So it's getting dark, and we're walking down. And I went up to uh, Vic the miner, and I said, "Well, that was quite a display today." And he looked at me and he said, "You think so?" And I thought, you know, poking a stick at a guy who's just throwing somebody down the mountain <laughs> probably not a good idea. <laughs> And and, uh, and, I, and I, I didn't say anything more. And then suddenly Vic said, you know, my granddad worked in the coal mines. My daddy worked in the coal mines. And I worked in the coal mines. And they taught me how to break a mule. And they taught me how to make a man work. And we're walking along. And I said, well, Stu sure worked hard this afternoon. And I stopped and I said, wait a minute, what was all that crap about never finding his body? And Dick started laughing and he said, he found the crank, didn't he? (laughs) I said, said, yeah. And we got back to camp and all of us lasted out the season except my friend who the next day caught a bus to go home. (laughs) It wasn't the line of work for him. uh, uh, Nope, and not the kind of companions he wanted to be with. But you know that? Those kind of crews, and I'm sure you've experienced that, they're quite an eclectic bunch. And they, as long as you pull your weight, you're fine. But if you don't pull your weight, uh, you can have a lot of trouble if you're on a 
in a, a line camp like that with a bunch of guys. Sort of like the crew on, you know, Deadliest Catch, stuff like that. Yeah. So. Yep, I can, I can believe it. So so let me let me ask you because you have got uh, twenty seven stories that you have in that book. Yeah. When's the next book coming out? Well, I'm hoping. You know, kind of depends on what happens with this one, uh, but I, I'm hoping six months to a year, maybe. Because I, I, I tell you, to, you're a wonderful storyteller. Well, thank you very much. I I enjoy it. Uh, I'm not sure how good I would do with with uh, with fiction. Boy, there's a plug, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but, uh, uh, but thank you. And uh, yeah, I sure enjoyed putting this together. And and I've met a lot of a lot of neat people since I got out there. Well, like what we're doing today, you know. Well, yeah, we, you and I wouldn't be talking. Wouldn't be talking otherwise. That that's right, and I wouldn't have the opportunity to meet somebody that has had the life experience that you have, because uh, I picture you as some guy as the guy that is in the bar that uh, five or six or seven folks are just sitting around listening to your stories. Am I wrong? Well, not so much. Free. <laughs> <laughs> Free drinks and you can't shut me up. I just got to figure out how do how do I monetize that? You know, yeah, exactly. Other than other than beer, you know, I got to be away. Speaking of which, um, one of the chapters, chapter ten. I the, my question for you is: Well, first of all, the chapter is entitled "The Day We Went Shark Fishing in Our Underwear." I want to know what uh, kind of liquor was involved. <laughs> Mostly rum. Ah, that was a. Uh, that was in Trinidad, and uh, I'd gone over there with a guy I met in college, and uh, who one day he was on the the Trinidad's uh, Olympic running team. One day he came to me and said, "Hey, you want to come back with me to Trinidad to visit?" Well, what do you think I said? You know what I said? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. And uh, so the day we went shark fishing. <laughs> they had taken me to this little dirt floored bar on the back of Trinidad in a place called Toco, which is a cocoa plantation. So, and Trinidad is a, everybody knows each other at a certain level, but it was a working man's bar, you know, they, and so I'm standing there and believe me, a South Dakota farm boy, you know, as, as white as a Kleenex, I stood out like a pig in britches in that place. Right? <laughs> so, so pretty soon this guy comes up to me and he starts shouting at me. And he was speaking in uh, Patois. It was combination French and English. And I, I couldn't understand a word of it. You know, so he's shouting and I'm smiling. And, <laughs> and then the guy pulls a knife, right? And, and I thought, Oh, great. And the, the temperature in the room really does drop about six degrees. And I'm looking for a window to get out to go through. And and suddenly my friend comes up with his uncle. And it turns out the guy wielding the knife was an old chum of his. So, so that ended things in a few minutes later, we're all having beer together with me still looking for the window. And... My my friend's uncle said, you need to come fishing with us to relax tonight. I said, oh, sure, let's do that. <laughs> so so we that night, why night, I don't know, we went to his friend's house and then walked to the, to the beach. It seemed like we went through the jungle forever, but I don't know how long it was. So we get down there, and his friend has um, fishing lines about as big around as your finger. And he said, we're going to have to stand in the surf, but, you know, take off your shoes and your pants and stuff. Otherwise, it'll be all wet when we go to walk back, and that's pretty unpleasant. So we go out there, and he baits my hook with a big hunk of meat and throw the line out. And I said, what are we fishing for? And he said, sharks. They're great. And I'm standing there with my waist in the water. It's pitch black, and I'm thinking, oh, this is a good idea. This, this is great. You know? <laughs> and... Uh, uh, and we're standing there and actually it was kind of pleasant. I mean, the night was pleasant and the waves and all this stuff, but, but I was just thinking, 
you know, with all of our bare skin, we probably look pretty tasty. <laughs> and suddenly something hits the uncle's line and start literally pulling him out to sea. And we grabbed it and pulled in. I think it was a moray eel. Huge, nasty thing. Big teeth snapping on the beach, you know. And the, uh, the uncle beat it around the head with a rock and said, okay, we're done fishing. And I thought, well, we're going to live through the night then. And we, we went back to his house, and he flopped that eel on the table, Kevin, and he put a nail through its head on the kitchen table and used the pliers and took the skin off, and we ate that bad boy. The eel gave its all for our dinner. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was it. That's pretty. Never did catch a shark. Well, that's pretty cool. You know, in in talking with you and reminiscing about the things that you did when you were younger and stuff, it's, 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 it, you know, you've had quite a life. Does any, have you recognized how unique your life has been and how many different, I mean, you, you went from, you went from mixing cement in a, uh, uh, in a, a fire camp to doing paratechnics for the the uh, um, uh, country music awards. I mean, you've had quite yeah. a life. Yeah, it really has been. You know, I look back on it, and, and until I wrote the book, you know, sometimes I take great pleasure in talking about when I was a kid, I would look to the horizon and say, someday I will be at the country music awards. Oh, horse bucky. You know, I mean, I just kind of wandered along and, woke up one day and said, here we are. And all the entertainers are drunk. This is, <laughs> and we're going on TV. What, 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 you know, what am I doing here? Right. So, uh, so yeah, it, but again, when I come back to Kevin, it's just getting out there. And you made the point earlier, which is absolutely right. And not being afraid to say, yeah, okay. I give that a shot. Why not? You know, because most what could possibly go wrong. <laughs> most people will say, "No, no, no, I can't do that. And I would never. That would I can I just can't do that." And and we miss so many wonderful opportunities and experiences. Well, for some of them are great, some of them are, are less than. And, and and I'm surprised that you're still with us after all the things that you've done. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of been the consensus. This guy's <laughs> biggest achievement. Stop being dead. <laughs> Bravo, you know? Well done, sir. Well done. Well done. But, yeah, exactly. By the way, we're talking with Wayne McFarland. He's written the book, Tales from the Day. I highly recommend it. He is, you, if you go and, and uh, I've, unfortunately, I haven't had the opportunity to read it yet, which is why I've been uh, talking about his uh, um his chapters in it but uh, if you go to the reviews the reviews are nothing more than just amazing and i know you didn't write them yourself so i nope. so the, the reviews were are great the book is great it's it hasn't been out very long but it's uh, you're just now getting started on on kind of doing a mini book tour kind of thing aren't you yep and there's a website uh talesfromtheday.com and there's excerpts there, and you can read the reviews and that kind of stuff. And uh, the book is available at Amazon or Barnes and Noble, ordered online. So, um, you know, hopefully, you, I was just going to say, right? I was just going to say, and you also have got a great radio voice. You have you thought about doing uh, uh, audio books with it and voicing it yourself? Yeah, about. Uh, 20 chapters of the book are done in an audio form. Thank you, by the way. And, um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's a, a whole area. I've got to do the final eight chapters and that's why I, you know, people who don't do that, like you do it every day, man, Kevin, it's hard. It no can be. told me that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you do it. Yeah. You do it all the time. And, you know, I was doing the book and I thought, this is hard, you know, <laughs> but it's fun. Yeah. 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 Well, that's true. That is true. And I'm, I, I tell you, I, I am just so blessed because I get to doing what I'm doing. I get to talk to people like you and, uh, learn yeah, your, your story and, and what you're about. And, and, you know, it, you really have the ability to affect somebody else who is, is, 
debating and and deciding what they want to do and but they but they're scared what was it about you that kept you from being scared and i know it wasn't the alcohol (laughs) you know i i don't know i i i've thought about it many times and honestly i think a lot of it was being stuck on the farm and in a small town as a kid i mean i was just so desperate to get the H out of there, you know what I mean? Really. And if you, well, now it's different. I mean, farmers now, you know, it was in the Dakotas when I was, farmers now, you know, everybody's got CNN and, and farming is a big business and people take cruises and, you know, it's just a whole different deal. Uh, back in the day, it was all small farms and my God, Kevin, the work is just, crushing. I mean, it was never ending. It just hard labor and you were out in the bushes. And if you got to a town, it's probably population 600, you know? And, and uh, so to answer your question, I was just so crazy to get out of there that I think it was under the heading of, well, anything has got to be better than a hoeing corn, you know? So I'll, I'll take a run at it. Well, you know, some people would say, well, come on, how tough can it be? You plant the corn, you let it sit there for six months, and then you, you harvest the corn, and then you put it in the thing, and then you sell it, and then and then you go um, hang out on the house for the winter. But that's not how it works, is it? Uh, no. <laughs> it's just a lot of back-breaking, never-ending work trying to keep, you know, the the bugs out of your crops. And now, you know, more and more machinery. Uh, is out there now. We we opened when we had our software company, our tech support in South Dakota, uh, just because of a lot of reasons. But uh, we met a number of the the now big farmers back there, and they have machines, Kevin, that are basically factories on wheels. Big, huge things about the size of three or four tanks big cab up glass enclosed air conditioned you know music cooler and you know in terms of and it's all gps controlled where the rows are all planted in in perfect uh you know spacing to where when you're going to weed them you can use a machine and gps and harvest them this machine goes down and can harvest everything and package it and put it in a truck all in one pass not how it used to be. I, stuff was all done by hand, and uh, and it was just a lot of tremendous amount of physical labor because they just didn't have the machinery. So how did you? So <laughs> Wait, you just you sparked, you sparked my interest again because how did you? All the things that you did, how'd you end up owning a software company of all things? Well, when we were doing all this entertainment stuff. Uh, I got involved with uh, a couple friends of mine who, you know, were running some radio stations and whatever. And that's just when automation and syndication was really coming in. They were starting to come down off the satellites, and and so my because we'd had a little experience in synchronizing all these projectors and stuff. My friends asked me, "Hey, can you can you help us? You know, do what we need to do to." start to automate our station. And uh, and that's when things were really fledgling, you know. And uh, and I said, yeah. And so we started doing that, and we used some of the first really primitive computers to do it, and one thing led to another, and we started doing... Back in the day, uh, as, you, as you, you may or may not know, I don't know, there was no... Every software program was custom. Right. There was no subscribing subscribing to anything for two bucks a month. I mean, if you wanted some software, you had to write it. And so to do the work, we kind of learned how to do it. And then Gloria, with her PhD, my plane doesn't fly there, Kevin, I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it got a little tired of academia where there's a lot of glory but no money. And so... She joined up, and we uh, we started the company, and started doing custom software, and then 
developed our own products and next thing you know we were selling it all over the place so it worked out pretty good oh the software we wrote ran small factories and track maintenance like on tanks and things like that not very sexy but worked out okay in the end but it did it, it, it paid the bills and then when you were able yep. to sell it, it it had got you to move to colorado that's it that's exactly correct and and uh, you know new experience and this new this new experience for you is is going to be i, I sense that uh, this book's going to take off there's going to be another book there's going to be a tour you're going to end up on oprah oh your lips to god's ears kevin that would be- you know i keep i keep calling her and she doesn't return my calls <laughs> what 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 is that well, you know, you keep you got to keep trying because I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you a quick story. Um, um, yeah. I started this podcast in August, and it's doing really quite well, and uh, it's got Great. it's got over uh, almost nine thousand downloads, and and went from zero to to that. Well, I was sitting at my computer uh, looking at my email, which I do incessantly, and uh, a a uh, um, publisher or a uh, producer for a guy by the name of John Edward, who is somebody that I followed for years. He's a psychic medium and stuff. And and they wanted to come on the show and was like, if the time is right, you can get people to come on your show or to do what you need if they're if they're mostly if they're selling something, but but you can you can do that and you get to meet some of the most incredible people. And that's that's I I that's why I do this. I just love it. But when I oh yeah, but when I first started, I worked at a at a radio station called KLAY in Tacoma, and it hadn't been updated since the like the early seventies. It still smelled like smoke, even though you couldn't you couldn't smoke in there anymore. And so I I, I know that it was really different back then how it all worked, and it's sad to see today because now radio has gone corporate. Everything is automated. You don't have the live personalities that you once did, um, and even even the syndication is uh, there are radio stations that have nobody in them, and they all they just run yep. syndicated programming all day. And that's kind of sad because yep. especially yep. in the smaller communities, because they they lose the flavor of the local community. Like you know, Bob's gonna have a ranch barbecue Saturday night. <laughs> And you guys need to go over there. It's over by you. Just pass the, the stoplight and take a left, and it's right there. You know, you don't get that. You don't get that local flavor anymore. You know, local radio. I tell people it used to be like a carnival, and the people running these little radio stations were like carny folks. I mean, and I, I got involved with a guy who uh, uh, traded everything. I mean, you know, when you couldn't sell your airtime. You trade for, well, you know, sure. all kinds of stuff, cars and chairs and food, and, and so this guy calls me up one day and he said, "Hey, I bought a little radio station, a pot boiler, and little day timer. It only broadcasts during the day in Las Vegas." And he said, "I got a great idea." And I thought, "Oh boy!" <laughs> and he said, "I'm I'm going to trade all the advertising time. I'm not going to sell it for cash." He said, "I want you to help me." We'll live like kings, be in Las Vegas. And he offered me a little money, so I said, sure. <laughs> so in we went, and by God, Kevin, we did live like kings. I mean, Las Vegas, we traded everything. You know, we had all these scrumptious meals and all the shows and all this. And, and one day, the owner calls me in, and he says, hey, we're out of money. We need some money. I'm going to go sell a cash contract to Big Jim's Bail Bonds, and you're coming with me. Now, Kevin, I was new to Las Vegas, but even I knew that Big Jim was the biggest loan shark in Las Vegas. And he he worked with his kid, who was mean as a rattlesnake. And I thought, and I said to to, uh, to the station owner, I said, you know, I'm not sure that's a great idea. And he said, no, no, no. I even, I even created a commercial. Listen to this. And this just jockey stentorian voice came forth back with some upbeat music and telling listeners that if they got in trouble with the law, they should call Big Jim. And so I thought, well, that sounds kind of good. Yeah, I'll go along and we'll pitch this guy. So we get there, and there's nobody in the conference room but Big Jim and this 
razor haircut suede shoe guy who had to be his kid, right? And his kid starts off and says, this is the stupidest thing we've ever done. We're not going to pay you any money for anything. And the station owner said, well, we've even got a commercial we made for you. And the kid said, well, I don't want to hear it. And Big Jim looked at him and said, no, I want to hear it. Play it. So the station owner pushed the button. And Kevin, instead of the commercial he played for me, the station owner's voice came out backed by organ music in a minor key, and the dialogue was this. Have you killed your wife? If you have money in the bank, here at Big Jim's Bail Bonds, we don't care. Did you hit your, did you, did you hit your mom with an ax? If you have equity in real estate, here at Big Jim's Bail Bonds, we don't care. And a kid leaped out of his chair. I've never seen but his eyes bulge before. And, and he started shouting and he stopped when we heard some strangling noises and big Jim was laughing so hard. I thought he was going to have a heart attack. And by the time he stopped, he said, you know, that was incredibly stupid, but it took a lot of, a lot of stones. And he said, okay, I'll give you your deal. I thought, what? He said, yeah, I'll give you your deal. Year contract, all cash up front. He said on two conditions. And the station owner said, what are they? It's fumbling with his pen, you know, with the contract. And Big Jim said, first, you give me that commercial, and it better be the only copy. And second, you never run anything about my business on the air without me approving it. And the station owner said, sure. And Kevin, I thought that Big Jim had gotten that commercial to destroy it. But later I heard that he played it for years at every party he either had or attended right up until he went to jail. <laughs> There again, so now you're in the radio business, you were in the, uh, 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 you, you did so much, you did so much that you're going to have to review this podcast to just come across with all the things that you've done. I have to tell you, by the way, we're talking with, with uh, Mr. Wayne McFarland, and I, I have really, really, really enjoyed this interview. You, you're, you're an awesome dude, man. It's been great fun, really. I really appreciate the invite, and... Uh, and you will live long and prosper if I can do one more shameless plug. Of course. Tales from the Day. Order it at Amazon, and you can see all the details at talesfromtheday.com. That's it. Now, there's one, one, more, one more thing that I need to, need to say, and that, and that is um, a man doesn't get to be your age with your experience, with all the things that you've done without acquiring some wisdom. I would be remiss if I did not ask you to give my audience a little bit of your wisdom of how you lived your life. Well, I would answer it in two ways. One would be just get out there and understand that you're probably going to lose more than you, you win, but you're, you're never going to get involved with anything. I found all this to be great fun, even though it was terrifying some of the time. If you're not out there and willing to, to just grab a hold of it, take big bites. You know, there's a great quote I'd recommend people look at by Teddy Roosevelt, where he talked about, you know, being in the, the arena and people and getting all beat up, you know, and, and dirt on your face and blood on your lip. He said, but people who don't get in the arena never know what victory feels like after the valleys of defeat. It's a great quote. And that that's really it. I think more than anything else, you get out and try stuff and you're going to take some tremendous beatings. But when you win, oh man, it's it's like a drug. It's just great. It's and then it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Yep. By the way, That's exactly. I, correct. One more time, we're talking with Wayne McFarland. He's the author of the book Tales from the Day. Get the book. Go to Amazon. It's there. Go to Barnes and Noble. It's there. They can order it for you. And you can also go to his website, which is talesfromtheday.com, Right. Yep, that's it. 
You are you are a special man. And by the way, if uh, you didn't get enough of Wayne uh, on this podcast, uh, he's going to be on Martha Norwalk's Animal World, uh, the Positive Talk Edition, which is what I do, on uh, the seventeenth uh, uh, of May, which is coming up in a week at eleven a.m. Pacific. So tune into that. We're going to have a great fun time, and it'll be a great discussion. And I'm looking forward to it. It's been a pleasure meeting you, young man, and and I wish you a long life and much success. Thank you, Kevin, and thank you for, I enjoyed the show tremendously. Thank you very much. Look forward to talking with you on the 17th. Absolutely, and by the way, everybody, you take care of yourself out there and really enjoy the day. Even in this time, we can, and you must. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because... Each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.